At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. It is great to be together today and to return to God's Word in 2 Corinthians chapters 4 through 7 as we've been walking through a series that we have called Mission Endure. We've we've seen how God has called us to live on mission with Him, not just for a season, but for all the days of our lives. In, In 2 Corinthians 4 through 7, the Apostle Paul is providing for us a number of perspectives to equip and enable and encourage us to stay on mission with Christ for the long haul. Today we're going to be in part four of that series as we see another installment, some more perspective that we need. But before we get there, I want to just share with you something I heard this past week. It was from a researcher by the name of Kara Powell who surveyed over 2,000 young people. 2,000 people under the age of 18 and wanted to know what the big questions were that they had. And these were not just specifically Christian students. These were just young people. So what do you think young people would have said were their biggest questions? Well, summarizing those questions down, there really were three big questions that were being asked. The first question was this. It was a question of identity. They want to know, who am I? The second question is a question of belonging. Where do I fit? And the third is a question of purpose. What difference can I make? Now, when you see these three questions up here, no doubt you're doing what I did when I saw these three questions. I thought, well, those aren't just questions for young people. Those are questions for all people. Those are the kinds of questions that we have. We want to know who we are. Where do we come from? We want to know where our people are. Where do we fit? And we want to know what our lives should be about. These are questions that each of us have. I share this with you today because we're going to be turning in Scripture to a passage that provides for us perspective on these matters. We have walked in probably with these questions, whether we realized it or not. We have walked in with these questions, and we have come today to a passage that when we ask, who am I? The passage reminds us we are a new creation in Christ. And when we ask the question, where where do I fit? Will we fit among the people of God on mission with Christ? And when we ask what difference can we make, we are reminded of the mission that God has provided for us in Christ to invite others to be reconciled to God, to be an ambassador for him. Friends, in the passage we're going to look at today, there are foundational answers to foundational questions. So let's turn and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I want to read these verses for us, and then I'll make a couple of observations as we seek to understand them more and to apply them in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, begins this way. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, in these few verses today, I want us to see two important things. What are they? The first thing I want us to see is this. God creates and we consider. God creates and we consider. Now, when we think of this matter of God creating, of course, our mind drifts back to Genesis 1 that reminds us that there was a time when there was nothing but God, and God created, spoke into existence, all there is. But when we get to the verses that we just read, we find out and are reminded that God didn't just create in the past, but God is creating today. And what God is creating today, friends, is a new us. He's creating a new us. Now, we see this in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, a few things I want us to see that are important in this verse. One of the things I want us to see is the word anyone. We all know that the Apostle Paul had a massive transformation in his life. There was a time when he was Saul, the persecutor of Jesus, and then he became Paul, the apostle of Jesus. That is a massive 180, a big turn. Paul here is not saying, I experienced a big change. Paul's not saying, I became a new creation in a way that you can't. What Paul is reminding us here is that this change, this radical transformation is possible for anyone. With one consideration, it's anyone who is in Christ. When anyone turns to Christ, a transformation happens. We have gone from someone that we used to be to who we are now in Jesus. We'll talk more about what that means in a moment. But this transformation is available for any who is in Christ. A transformation into a new creation. Now, when we say a new creation, this involves two different aspects. It involves something old that has passed away and something new that has come. So let's think for a moment about what is old that has passed away. In simple terms, the old that has passed away, if we are in Christ, if we have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, if we are following him with our lives, then the old us, the pre-Jesus us, is no more. It's passed away. This includes the weight of our sin, the consequence of our sin that separated us from God, the things that we are ashamed of, the ways that we have fallen short of God's glorious perfection, they have been dealt with in Christ, and our identity is no longer marred and scarred by them. The old has passed away. Not only that, but our old way of doing is passed away. There was a time before Christ when our lives were only about us, But when we have come to faith in Christ, 
We repent from that old way. And the old way of doing things for us, organized around what we want, is dead and done with. At least it should be. And our old way of viewing. Before Christ, we had a way of viewing the world that was merely physical. It was only according to the flesh. But in Christ, we have a new perspective, a perspective that looks through the lens of Christ and understands the world in radically different ways. If we are in Christ, the old has passed away. But not just an old that has passed away, something new has come. Something has replaced it. Paul says, behold, check it out. Look at it. Something new has come. What is it that is new that has come? Well, a new identity. If our old identity was marked by our sin and worthy of God's judgment, the new identity is marked by God's grace and the presence of his Holy Spirit. This is who we are in Christ. This is the new that has come. Not only that, but we see that we have a new home and new citizenship. You know, when you think about this new home and this new citizenship, it reminds us of what we saw back in the beginning parts of chapter 5, that we trade, if we are in Christ at death, this earth tent of a body for our true home, which is in heaven in the presence of God. There is an upgrade that awaits us. That is what defines us. And so we have a new identity. We have a new citizenship, which is in heaven. And we live according to a new purpose. We live according to a new purpose. No longer do we live only for ourselves, but we live for Christ who bled and died for us. And we have a new view of life and people. No longer do we look at the world only according to fleshly terms, but we look at the world according to the perspective that Jesus grants us by his grace. Now, when we think of this this new view, this new way of looking at the world, I want us to dive into that a little bit more because this new view is something that we are to consider. We're to consider the way we view others. We're to consider the way we view Christ himself. Paul says back in verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What Paul was saying was before he came to Christ, he viewed others primarily according to the flesh. This might have involved, he viewed them in two big categories, Jews and Gentiles or non-Jews. Or he might have viewed them in terms of their, their, their status in society. Or he might have viewed them according to their political perspectives related to the Roman occupation. Whatever it might be. Paul said, in Christ, he no longer regards people according to the flesh. Now, when we think of regarding people according to the flesh, some things that we might include in that category would be things like someone's ethnicity. Like someone's education. Like someone's economics. Like someone's political affiliations, like which cable networks they watch, which social media they participate in. You see, those are things according to the flesh. Paul said, there was a time when I looked at those things and I saw them as the primary identifiers in people. 
But he says, I don't do that anymore. There has been something that has changed. The new creation, Paul, no longer viewed people according to the flesh. Well, if he didn't view them according to the flesh, how did he view them? He viewed them according to the Spirit, which would have put people largely into two categories, either the saved or the unsaved. Paul looked at the world through Jesus' glasses so that he did not see primarily differences in ethnicity, education, or economics, but he saw people in terms of their connection to Christ. Those who had placed their faith and trust in Christ, not only were they saved, what were they to Paul? They were his brothers and sisters, people that he was to care for, to come alongside, to encourage, to equip. I mean, that's who they were. And if they were people that had not yet placed their faith and trust in Christ, who were they to Paul? They were someone for whom to share Christ with, to invite, to be reconciled to God, to to love them unto the cross. These were the two categories. Paul no longer looked at those around him according to the flesh, but he looked at those around him according to the Spirit. Friends, let me just ask you the question. How do you view people? How do you view the appointments on your calendar this week? I was talking with someone between services that heard the the message at 8.30 this morning, and they they just mentioned this applicational thought. They said, I'm going to look at my calendar this coming week and and think about who, who am I meeting with this week, regardless of the things of the flesh, the reasons in business or otherwise that we're getting together. But who are they? Are they a brother and sister in Christ that I can also encourage in the faith? Or are they someone who is far from God that I can represent Christ and invite to follow Jesus as well? Friends, how do we view those around us? The Apostle Paul said, as a new creation, he did not view people according to the flesh. He viewed them in a different way. How do we view others? Well, this perspective of Jesus, he didn't just or this perspective of others, he didn't just get from his own imagination. He actually got it from his understanding of Jesus. He said at the rest of verse 16, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What Paul was saying was there was a time when he viewed Jesus according to the flesh. He viewed Jesus as a carpenter, as a leader, as maybe a prophet or a teacher or possibly even a myth. There was a time where Paul viewed Jesus only according to the flesh, but he views Jesus that way no longer. How does he view Jesus now? As he looks at Jesus according to the Spirit, according to truth, he understands that Jesus is, in fact, God himself, his Savior, and his Lord. Friends, how do you view Jesus Do you view him merely according to the flesh as a carpenter, or do you view him according to the Spirit as more than a carpenter, as your Savior and your God? There is no life-changing new creation if we view Jesus only according to the flesh, but if we view Jesus according to the Spirit, according to who he really is, friends, there's a transformation on the other side of that moment. think of this in terms of the old and the new. In verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul uses this word no longer in two different directions. 
He talks about you know, Saul and Paul, same person. Saul was his name before he came to Christ. Paul was what he was called after he came to Christ. The old Saul lived for himself. The new Paul lived for Christ. We saw this last week in verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Friends, there's a transformation that took place in Paul's life. There's a transformation that is available for us as we turn to Christ, turning from living for ourselves to living for him. Now that in verse 16, we're reminded that the old Saul thought, Saul thought Jesus was a man, but the new Paul sees Jesus as Savior and Lord, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. And so I think it's important for us to ask the question about us. Not what did Paul think, not what did Paul do, but what do we do? What do we think? What do we consider in light of what God is offering in his creation? Well, first question, how do you consider Jesus? In a room this large with this many people here and others watching online, I believe that there are people who are gathered around this message in this moment who are considering Jesus unto the flesh. They think of Jesus as a historical figure, kind of like George Washington. Or they think of Jesus as somebody that offered some inspirational sayings and stories like Aesop's fables. But Jesus is far more than those things. He's more than just a Galilean carpenter. He is the Son of God. And he came and lived his life, and his life was recorded for us in Scripture so that we might see and know and understand that Jesus is not just his flesh. He did come in the flesh. He did really was born in Bethlehem and, and grew up and, and went to the cross and rose from the dead. All those things are true. But in his identity, friends, he is the Son of God. He is our Savior and our Lord. If you are hearing this message and you have spent your life considering Jesus only unto the flesh, know that there is an entirely better way to consider him. And that is as Savior and God. And maybe this morning is the morning that you would lean in and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, repent of your way, and follow him in faith that his new creation might touch your life, your world today. You know, I think about this idea of new creation, and it reminds me when I was a kid, I, I would play um, video games. When I was a kid, playing video games meant playing them on the Atari 2600, not the cool games of today. But the Atari was pretty cool. Anybody play Atari? My people are here today. Uh, my people have gathered. Uh, but, no, we, we would play these games. And, and, you know, the games would just be, you know, pretty simple games that would just get faster and more complicated. But when things would begin to go south and, and I would lose a life or I'd get in a bad spot, you know what I was tempted to do? I was tempted to touch which button? The reset. You guys did the same thing. Hit the reset button, right? Hit the reset button. Because we knew that our current situation couldn't be fixed. It needed to be replaced. Friends, if you are here today and your life is so complicated because you have tried to manage it on your own, 
know that there is a colossal reset button available for us in Christ. And when we consider Jesus to be more than just a carpenter, he can transform our souls and make us a new creation marked by his glory. How do you consider Jesus? Second thing, how do you view others? How do you really view them? I mean, you view those around you only according to the flesh, only according to superficial type things. Now, that, granted, there are lots of things about us that are significant and important, and I'm not trying to minimize that, but at a foundational level, how do you view those around you? When we view people according to the flesh, you know what we normally do? We find just enough about them according to their flesh that we don't like so that we don't have to listen to them anymore. That's what we do. We look for reasons to break fellowship in the flesh. That's what we do. But if we were to view people as Christ viewed them, if we were to view them according to the Spirit and not just according to the flesh, then it would transform the way that we relate to them. To fellow believers as brothers and sisters in Christ. And to those that have not trusted in Christ as people for whom God wants to make an appeal to the gospel through us. We are not who we used to be. So stop living like the old you and consider how your current life matches your new creation status. God creates we consider. But a second important truth we really need to see in these verses is this. God reconciles and we represent. God reconciles, we represent. Now, this word reconcile or reconciliation, if you want to know the passage of Scripture that talks about reconciliation the most, you've come to the right place. Because in these few verses, these three verses, 18, 19, and 20, the word reconcile is found five times, or variations of it are found five times. It says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, giving us the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This word reconciliation is used a lot. Now, what do we need to know about reconciliation? Reconciliation is a relational word. It's what it is. It's a relational word. It talks about two people who had a relationship, and then something happened to disrupt that relationship, and so it became broken and separated. The effort to bring that relationship back together is the process of reconciliation. That's the idea. Now, what's interesting is to think about what is it that has disrupted the relationship between humans and God? Those are the two categories here, humanity and God. And so what happened that disrupted that relationship so that reconciliation would be necessary? Well, the answer to that is that we sinned. We sinned. Look at what Isaiah 59 says. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. 
But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Our sin disrupted the, our relationship with God. That's what it did. So that we find ourselves in need of reconciliation with the God who created us. Now, in, in this particular instance, since we are the ones who have done the wrong, it is God is the one who has been wronged. So how is it that this reconciliation happens? Normally, we would think of the reconciliation happening on the one who was wrong doing something to make it right. But that's not how it worked with God. With God, what we see is that all of this is from Him. God initiated and moved toward us even while we were still sinners. God didn't wait for us to come and ask for forgiveness. He came first and offered his son to die on the cross in our place. All of this is from God. You know, normally when we think of reconciliation, we think of relationships in this life, and we think, how, do, uh, how, how does a relationship that is broken in this life get reconciled? Normally we think of going to a third party. We go to an arbitrator. We go to a court. We go to a judge. We go to uh, an attorney. We go to a counselor. We go to a friend. We go to a pastor. And we want them to serve as some kind of a referee to officiate the reconciliation process so that it would happen. That's not what happens here. God was wronged by us. But God himself comes to reconcile the relationship with us. Not a third party. God moved towards us. And how did he do that? He did that through Christ. And in Christ reconciling us to himself. Now, because it was our sin that led to the separation, the way that God was to reconcile had to deal with our sin. God had to do something with our sin so that he could reconcile with us. He, he had to find a way to not count our trespasses or our sins against us. And the reason why he has to do that is because God is holy. We sang earlier in the service, holy, 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 are you Lord? We, we sang that song together. It's a great reminder that God is holy, so God cannot tolerate just looking the other way regarding sin. God had to deal with it in some way. Either punish us because of our sin or pay the punishment for us. So this is what happens, as verse 21 tells us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. And then he went to the cross and he died for sin. Not his sin, because he had none, but our sin. God took our sin and placed it upon Christ on the cross. God made Jesus, who had never sinned, to represent sin for us. And then, he takes the righteousness of Jesus, and he gives it to us. Now, 
This is somewhat of a banking analogy that the Apostle Paul is using here. You know, we're familiar with, with bank accounts. You have two bank accounts that have different amounts of resources in them. You know, we think about it in our world. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a son who has a bank account. Now, that's wild to think about. My son has a bank account. My son has a bank account. I have a bank account. And, and I will go into my bank account, and I will take some resources in my bank account, and I will take them and place them in his bank account. So they go from my care to his. And what does he do with them? He buys Chick-fil-A. That's the way it works. But, you know, it goes from one account to the other. In a similar way, what Paul is saying is, the sin that was in our account is taken and transferred into the account of Christ. And the righteousness of Jesus is taken and placed in our account. So that God's anger for our sin might be satisfied, the payment can be made, and so that the relationship could be reconciled as we relate to God through the merits of Christ alone. Friends, this is what is the truth of the gospel. This is what God has done for us. God is reconciling us to himself. And if God has reconciled us to himself, how do we respond? What do we do with it? Well, God is reconciling us to himself in Christ. Therefore, we represent him in this world. I love what he says in verse 14 that we saw last week. For the love of Christ controls us. Paul said the love of Christ that came around him and introduced him to the saving work of Christ has now swept him out to sea to share the love of Christ with others. And how does he share that love with them? He shares that love with them by inviting them to be reconciled to God. Paul understood that he and you and I have been given a ministry of reconciliation. This message of reconciliation that is found in the gospel, you and I have the opportunity to share it with others. Now, Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is one who represents a faraway country in the place of that government. Can you imagine a ambassador to the United States in the Sudan is, is working to represent U.S. interests and the citizens of the U.S. in a far country even today. In the same way, we are reminded that our citizenship is in heaven. And as we live out our lives on the earth, we are living them out representing the God who has given us a new identity in Christ. We are ambassadors for him. We are representatives of him. I love what Paul Barnett says of this. He says, in his death, Jesus represented us. He died in our place. But in his physical absence, we represent him. He has ascended to heaven. He is physically absent from the world, but we are not. And we are here empowered by his spirit to represent Christ and invite others to be reconciled to God. God is literally making his appeal through us 
imploring on behalf of Christ those that we come in contact with to be reconciled to God. In his physical absence, we represent him. I love what my friend Mark Burgett used to say. He would say, God's plan for getting the gospel to the world is through us. We are God's plan, and there is no plan B. Friends, how is it that God intends to get the gospel into your neighborhood, to those in your school, to those on your sports team, to those in your family? How is it that God intends to get the gospel out to the world? His plan is through us. We are his representatives. God making his appeal through us to be reconciled to him in Christ. And so the question for us really is, will we represent? Will we represent? Will we step into this role as an ambassador for Christ? If we have trusted in Jesus, we have a new identity. This is who we are. Will we live like it? Will we live understanding the significance of the relationships that God has entrusted to us to point others to him? question I would ask is this. Who does Jesus want to reach through you? I really want everybody to answer that question. Who does Jesus want to reach through you? Might be someone in your family. Might be someone on your team. Might be someone on your street. It might be someone that you meet just randomly later today. Who is it that God wants to use you to introduce to Christ? And when you think of who that person is, a few things I want you to do. The first thing is to pray. Pray that God would give you his heart for them. That you would see them not according to the flesh, but that you would see them as he sees them. You would see them with with Jesus' lenses on. And as we pray, then also pray for opportunities. Pray for clarity of message. But pray. Second thing, after we've prayed, invite. Invite them to come to church with you. Invite them to to grab a cup of coffee with you. Invite them to go to lunch. Invite them to, to share their spiritual story. Just initiate, reach out, and invite them to engage in conversation about who they are and where they belong and what their purpose is. These are the questions that we're carrying around with us. We find their meaning and purpose in Christ who gives us the the reset button and allows us to live together among the people of God living on mission for him. And as we reach out to them in those moments, may we represent Christ. Friends, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for just this great passage of Scripture that has reminded us again of of who you are and all that you have done for us. Lord, I I pray asking that, that you would just transform 
um, the way that we think about everything. You would remind us who you are, that, that you are the God who created all things, that you would allow us the privilege of just considering who you are, that we might have it inform the way that we respond. And Lord, also that we would remember who everyone around us is, that we might take advantage of the opportunities to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as to share the message of reconciliation with the lost. And Lord, I I pray also that you would allow us just to be able to see your body in this place continue to grow as more and more lives are touched by the message of the good news of Jesus. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen.